exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I am your host, Emily Fox. In world news today, Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi has indicated, uh, has has been indicted to stand trial on charges of paying for sex with an underage prostitute and abuse of power, according to the BBC. Mr. Berlusconi denies paying for sex with Karima El Marug. She was 17. However, he says she was doing a favor or he was doing a favor for the then Egyptian leader Hosni Mubarak because Berlusconi was told the girl was Mubarak's granddaughter. Marug, widely known as Ruby, has denied sleeping with the prime minister but says she received more than $9,000 from him as a gift after one of his parties. On Sunday, hundreds of thousands of Italian women held nationwide protests against their embattled prime minister in more than 60 towns and cities. In national news, President Barack Obama warned today that immediate deep budget cuts could hurt the fragile economy recovery, but Republicans pressed to slash spending and brushed off concerns about potential job losses, according to Reuters. Republicans criticized Obama's budget for 2012, released this week, and demanded cuts now in areas such as education and space exploration. Obama, who promises $1.1 trillion in deficit reduction over 10 years, still wants to invest in areas such as high-speed rail and energy efficiency to boost U.S. competitiveness. And in Michigan news, you can now continue the buzz that started with the imported from Detroit Super Bowl ad, according to Michigan Radio. Chrysler is selling T-shirts with the imported from Detroit logo on its Chrysler collection website. The epic two-minute ad is still running on television and edited down one minute and 30 second versions. And on exposure tonight, you can hear the loco band Elliott Street Lunatic, as well as an interview with former top chef contestant Ariane Duarte. But in the studio is Kevin Pritchard and Carter Moulton, as well as on the phone we have Dave um, Suhanik, and he's there here to talk about their independent music label, Bigger Brush Media. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you for having us. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So I guess to start off, uh, what is Bigger Brush Media? So Bigger Brush Media, it's, it's sort of a flexible idea at this point, but what it really is and what it's designed to be is a collective of artists in the area, uh, sort of all of us combining forces together, taking all our talents, equipment, uh, knowledge, and using that to advance the Michigan music scene and make it bigger and better and stronger and uh, really help everyone out that we possibly can along the way. So how did it all begin? Uh, began uh, a long time ago. Dave, you might want to talk about this. but And when Dave was in high school, him and his friend Drew Leahy uh, started Bigger Brush Media Bigger Brush Records, um, and it sort of started as a local thing around Brighton, Michigan, and it sort of died out after a while, and we've really just relaunched it in the past year. It started in August when Kevin, uh, myself, and Dave really just decided that we wanted to do something uh, positive for the state and for music and um, you know, try to work with the community and strengthen it and empower it. Uh, so, Dave, I've, I don't know if you want to talk about the, I don't know, beginnings of it, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty accurate. Um, everybody knows the story. Carter and Kevin know the story. But uh, 
basically, um, you know, I, I grew up playing in bands and uh, ended up learning how to record rather than pay people to record me, um, just so I had more control over the products that I was you know, putting out and uh, the, the music that I was making. And I kind of blossomed into a, let me help all my friends that play music, and, uh, and then, you know, it just kind of snowballed since then and it's been growing and growing. So, uh, so yeah, here so we are now. How many different artists have you guys worked with already? Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> Formally... <laughs> Formally, we've probably worked Loosely, with... probably. Yeah. I mean, formally, we probably have eight or nine that we work with directly, but, I mean, there's dozens and dozens that... Loosely, probably around 40 or 50 yeah, and you, over like, the past probably five or six years. Yeah. It's not... That's the thing about this project is that it's not by any means some exclusive... That's why we don't really like to you know, think of ourselves as a label because we're trying to help everyone and anyone who's really dedicated to... You know, providing some sort of uh, empowerment to Michigan through music, and is really you know gung ho about the whole thing. We're willing to help them. And do you stick to a, a certain genre of music? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we're stuck in a genre of music. We seem to be uh, relating a lot to sort of the Michigan folk scene, but I think that's just a reflection of how strong the Michigan folk rock scene is right now. It's not that we decided on that or anything like that. It's just, you know, a lot of the great bands and uh, great artists out there sort of categorize themselves in that way. And it seems to be the recurring theme, but I certainly yeah. wouldn't say we're stuck there. We've done across the board, basically. Funk. Funk, hip-hop. Hip -hop. It doesn't really matter. I mean, if you're willing to put yourself into it and Electronic. wholeheartedly, uh, you know, apply effort, then we're willing to help you. You know, it's big, big community of people. And you're all musicians as well? Mm, that's a loose term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all like to play music, that's for sure. Kevin's a musician. Dave's a musician. Dave... Carter doesn't give himself Carter's enough credit. <laughs> uh... Kevin's really, really been working hard on bass. It's been really good practicing all the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's we're musicians, but we're also just, you know, trying to manage everything and, you know, establish yeah, friendships over the years, and networks. Over the years, like I said, we've, uh, we've gone from being just, just musicians to producing and recording our own stuff. And, and like I said, it's branched out to producing and recording other people. So, you know, musicians, producers, uh, pseudo-managers, just kind of, you know, shaping shaping everything in a way um, that kind of relates to what we like. So, so oh, I was reading a, an article by uh, Capital Gains, and uh, it was saying that you guys really have a focus on the Lansing music scene. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, it's safe to say that we focus on Lansing, but that's where we all lived just recently. You know, that's where Dave was until very recently. Carter and I spend most of our time in Lansing. But, uh, you know, that's that's changed a lot since we interviewed initially for uh, Capital Gains, actually. I mean, since since we've been getting press in the Lansing area, it sort of has spread out, mm -hmm. and we have more acts approaching us from different areas in Michigan. And, you know, it's not... It, well, it is just a Michigan thing at this point. You know, it's the Midwest. It's the whole philosophy of do-it-yourself. Uh, you know, produce something that you think is valuable, uh, as opposed to you know necessarily marketable. It's uh, it's just sort of the Midwest philosophy on doing things that we really support and uh, has become really integral to what we're doing here. And how would you compare what you're doing with Bigger Brush Media in comparison to where you're seeing how the music industry has been changing in the past few years? 
I think Dave should answer that. One. <laughs> That's what I was. Thinking. Oh yeah, I, I suppose that would be an appropriate uh, thing for me to talk about since I'm actually uh, outside of the new music uh, seminar in LA right now. Um, uh, actually, just uh, left a panel called A and R in the new music business, and they're kind of talking exactly about that. How the the local DIY ethics are actually seeping into the mainstream and seeping into uh, the music industry. I mean, for example, the Grammys this past weekend, you saw, uh, if you watched it, you saw a band called Arcade Fire win Best Album of the Year. And that's something that is uh, absolutely amazing to DIY groups like us. Um, you know, they kind of started from a very similar scene as we did, um, as we are trying to make right now. So um, I think right now is a great time for uh, people that do things themselves to actually, you know, participate in the traditional music industry. It's, uh, it's a very new uh, frontier. It's, it's very interesting to be a part of it. So, Dave, talk about how you're involved with Bigger Brush Media, yet you're still in L.A. Are you, is you just visiting, or are you living out there right now? No, um, I, I'm actually living out here. Um, about four months ago, I was offered a position uh, in the music industry with a music technology company. Um, it kind of has very similar goals to Bigger Brush, and uh, it was a perfect fit. I was out here visiting a friend, actually Drew Leahy, whom I started Bigger Brush Records back in 2006 with. Um, he's out here as well doing music industry stuff, so I came out to visit, and met some people and uh, kind of explained what I was up to in Lansing and in Michigan and the Midwest, and they were very uh, very impressed with it, and they wanted me to become a member of the team. So uh, the way I see it is um, I am out here, you know, still working on behalf of Bigger Brush. I, uh, I champion Midwest artists all the time, and I have plans to return to Michigan, uh, definitely. So, so do you think that... Getting... Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm out here getting some experience that uh, can definitely help us in the future. So do you plan on staying in L.A.? Do you plan on taking what you learn out there and coming back? Oh, I definitely, definitely want to come back at some point, although I don't know when that is right now. Um, you know, I've made a lot of great connections already in just four months, and who knows, you know, what else will happen. Um, but I try to I try to fly back and visit as much as possible, and I am in constant communication with Kevin and Carter and all the artists and people that are part of Bigger Brush. Um, so you know we're we're kind of expanding in a way and kind of gaining more information. I always I always joke around and say that I'm out here stealing a bunch of ideas to bring back with me. So <laughs> yeah, the way I like to look at it is Dave is sort of the personification of the way that the music industry is going. The DIY and mainstream are becoming one. Now, DIY is it do-it-yourself. Do-it-yourself. That and the mainstream have really become one. I mean, it's technological costs of recording. It's Everything's coming down. It's becoming much, much easier to do professional quality work You know, mm -hmm. out of your basement, like essentially we've been doing for a while now. And Dave is sort of the representation of that. He can help make that uh, you know that Connection. theory of everything uh, being one that do-it-yourself and the mainstream music reality and uh, he's really just our champion for the Midwest scene out there and it's been <laughs> as far as as far as word from Dave it's been going quite well so uh, we've gotten quite a buzz out there as far as just promoting Midwest yeah. I mean, artists that we're affiliated with and just artists that we have directly it's it's been going quite well 
Dave, you and wanna... in a way, it's always been the it's always been the proactive musicians from anywhere yeah. around the world that have changed things. Um, but now with the internet and with uh, technology, it's a lot easier, and and the time frame is a lot faster. So, like I said, it's kind of like the the wild west right now. Um, anyone can can uh, influence the music industry in a in a in a great way, in a, in very quickly. So it's it's very interesting. So, Dave, I'm curious when you're out in LA um, working with music out there, and you talk about your project with um, Bigger Brush Media here in the Midwest, and you talk about the music scene in the Midwest. What are people's reactions to you when you talk about the Midwest music in LA? That's a really interesting question. Um, I was I had no idea what to expect and I at first I was kind of shy to bring it up because I was maybe a little intimidated but as time went on and as I got more comfortable with the people I work with and and all sorts of other contacts I've been making and I brought up the the Midwest scene and I brought up the the Michigan scene and Lansing scene um, people have been very impressed people have been very into it and right now the Midwest is where it's at as far as I'm concerned um, it's, it's a great place. It's a very, let me just draw a, a little metaphor. It's basically, it's a really fertile area as far as creativity and art, and it's kind of untouched by a lot of the, um, I don't know, a lot of the, I guess, real industry or whatever. But like I said, they're merging, and right now it's, it's the Midwest's time um, in, a, in a way. It's, you know, somebody else want to chop there? <laughs> Any other comments? Well, um, I'm curious, is Bigger Brush Media something that you want to keep specifically for Midwest artists, or do you want to branch out now that you're in L.A., um, Dave, to national artists? Well, I think that we will always, always hmm. be focused on our the soil which raised us, um, the Mitten State, um, there, it's just such a such a hotbed of creativity right now, and just really raw, energetic creativity. And um, we're always going to draw from from those resources primarily. Um, I've met a lot of great people out here that are doing very similar things, and their goals align with uh, the goals of Bigger Brush. And um, the way I see it, you can't have enough friends, you know. Mm-hmm. As long as you're sure that these the friends are uh, believe what you believe, so. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like the Midwest has kind of been, I mean, I don't want to, I guess, kicked under the rug is kind of a harsh thing to say about it. But, I, you know, I feel like we're finally helping give them uh, the fair chance that all the artists out here deserve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we give everybody a fair chance and we meet somebody in Alabama who's great, I mean, we're not going to, you know, discriminate against them because they're from the wrong place. But if we give Michigan the fair shot that it deserves, I mean, clearly the talent's here and, it's, you know, it's showing that the talent's here. It's really unbelievable just how many people we know very personally like you would call and just hang out that you know people around here know the talent that exists here just it's it's really amazing so the need to go to national artists um you know i don't know what that looks like but it's not really even there from a talent level we feel really really confident about what we have going consistently blown away with the level of talent of every artist that i encounter They're just blown away by them so when you work with artists do you often seek them out or do they seek you out with bigger brush media i think through uh, it's kind of it's changed a little bit through dave now uh through his job he gets submissions 
um, you know, from artists that are looking for some feedback on their stuff. And, it, you know, the way it started is we just we just reached out to our friends that we knew personally. Uh, and we do get emails and, uh, you know, letters from people that even phone calls, even though the BBM office phone line doesn't work so well right now. But, um, yeah, we get we get contact from people that are definitely interested. And we also are, you know, actively pursuing artists and people that are really dedicated to it. And I'm curious, where did the name Bigger Brush Media come from? Dave? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an old school. Uh, that's a reference to Dave's old old school band called Epitha. Um, it was one of their. Was that one of your songs? It was a line from one of their songs, I believe. It was uh, "Go and get the bigger yeah. brush." Yeah, it was originally um, <laughs> inspired by a T.S. Eliot poem that Drew and I read in high school, and there was a line about the bigger brush, and um, it just resonated with us. Um, as kind of a metaphor for the not not the bigger picture in and of itself, but the tool to get there, um, the tool to paint the bigger picture. So it just kind of stuck with me, and uh, it, we changed it from Bigger Brush Records to Bigger Brush Media because um, ultimately I have um, bigger aspirations than just music. Um, any any kind of media that promotes positivity and uh, Michigan and whatnot. So constant development. So for all of you guys, I have a question. Um, what are your hopes for the Midwest music scene in the, in the future and its growth? The way that I look at it is uh, throughout musical history, there's always been, oh, do you know the New Jersey hardcore scene? Like, oh, that's where all the great bands are coming from or the Seattle grunge scene. And, you know, the nation sort of becomes obsessed with that little category or that genre tied with the region and it becomes a national sensation for a while and it puts them in the spotlight and I really think Michigan has the potential to do that I don't know what the name of it is yet but I know the talent's there and I know that the interest is growing in the country so that's really where I want to take it for me I think yeah. once that happens once we establish that sort of thing my hope would be that uh, we stay humble and really appreciative for everything that you know we've been given and our Michigan roots and things like that, because I, I feel like it's very easy to get lost, um, you know, once a scene is coming up or whatever. And I think that's something that Michigan has about it. If you ask people around the United States, it's a charm, it's an innocence, um, and I would really want to keep that intact if, if we grew. Dave, any comments? Yeah, to add, yeah, to, add to what both of them said, uh, kind of Kevin was pointing out scenes that have happened around the country that have influenced many, many bands and many people. I mean, you know, in the 90s, Seattle was the hot spot. Um, in a way, Portland is a hot spot right now. Brooklyn, Silver Lake, out here in Los Angeles. And um, I've, kind of, I've kind of been toying with this new buzzword lately of a hyper-local scene. And, and what that would mean is something that is locally focused, where it's mostly about the people in the region and... The, the creativity in the region, uh, doing good things for the region itself. But yet the hyper part would mean that it's recognized nationally. And um, that would be something that I'm really interested in, uh, helping Michigan become recognized for the great stuff that's already happening and has been happening for quite a long time. You know, we're just, we're just trying to add to what's been happening. So. 
So before we take you guys out, um, I want to play a song that you guys have produced. Um, the song is called Ego Loss on Grand River Avenue, and this is from the Quilted Attic Session. Can you guys talk about what is the Quilted Attic Sessions? Uh, quilted Attic Sessions. <laughs> this is a hard one to feel. In development. <laughs> quilted Attic is in development. Uh, this is the first sessions to be released. Uh, really, it's 100% live video and audio, so if you guys... Uh, there's a website called thequiltedaddict.com um, that has all this uh, material on it. It has live videos to go with it as well. Um, what we're going to hear today is the audio from that, but it's 100% live. The video goes with it. Uh, it's just, I think it's an excellent way to highlight real talent. There's no faking, there's no anything, and it's filmed in the attic of my house that we... Uh, Carter, Christmas Dave, lights. and I decked out pretty nicely. So Now, can you set the scene for us? Because I saw some pictures um, online of it and it looked beautiful. Imagine a quilted um, happy place with Christmas lights and a lot of um, people huddled in a place. It's pretty warm. Well, if, if you get a lot it's of people It's kind of cold now. It's winter. Tons of but... power cords everywhere. So that kind of takes away from the mystique, but... Um, There's fire extinguisher, it's just in case, but... It's just really warm place. Yeah, I, um, I'll probably go there tonight and uh, lay and just turn on the Christmas lights and hang out. It's it's a lovely place, it really is. Well, with that, uh, in the studio is Carter um, Moulton, as well as Kevin Pritchard on the phone is um, Dave Suhanik, and uh, they're a part of Bigger Brush Media. For more information, you can go to biggerbrushmedia.com. And again, this song is from the Quilted Attic Session by Bigger Brush Media, and the song is Ego Loss on Grand River Avenue. Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. We are, we are Jesus, and we are Satan. We gave them bodies and we gave them faces. We are the part of still making changes. We are 10,000 dead in a war that was won. We are the Father, Spirit, and the smoking gun. We are the future that will repeat what we've done. We are a mother with a bag over her head and a father in the cold with a drink in his hands. We are divorced that never found its end.
heroes with a thousand faces. We are heroes with a thousand faces. We are heroes with a thousand faces. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. That song again was uh, Ego Loss on Grand River Avenue. That was by Joe Hurtler. And Joe Hurtler will be playing this weekend um, for Frost Fest, which will take place in downtown Lansing this Saturday. Along with Joe Hurtler, um, in the studio we have local band Elliott Street Lunatic. They will also be playing at Frost Fest. And they are here in the studio to perform as well as talk about their upcoming performance. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, uh, thanks for having us. So, can you go around and introduce yourselves? Yeah, uh, I'm Jordan Hahn. I play bass and do backing vocals. I'm Jason Marr. I sing and play guitar. I'm CJ Colheed, and I play drums and tonight guitar. And, yeah. So you are a Lansing-based band, I yes. understand. Yes, yep. Mm-hmm. Did you all grow up in the Lansing area? Well, the three of us actually grew up in Langsburg, which is like 25 Langsburg. miles north of... Very small town. Yeah. <laughs> and how long have you been around for? Uh, we've been a band since 2007. Yeah. Now, where do you usually get out and perform at? Uh, we play Max a lot, sometimes the Loft in Lansing. That's about all we really play in Lansing. Uh, sometimes an occasional MSU performance. And we play a lot in Mount Pleasant at Rebels up there, which is awesome town, awesome venue, cool people. We'll play in Ann, Ar- Ann Arbor. Anywhere around Michigan we'll play. And, and how did the band form? Um, well, yeah, it was 2007, spring, and uh, me and Jason... Just decided to start a project. We hadn't been playing music together for a while. I don't really know why. Yeah. That was weird. But then just so randomly started up. We had this other bass player named uh, Jim Mitchell, who is a punk rocker. And eventually we all came to accept that fact. <laughs> and he left the band. Actually, it was his call. I mean, that yeah. sounds like... He's a great guy. Yeah, he's we a really good him. guy. Yeah, very good friend. And Jordan stepped in to play bass. And then uh, our our hero guitarist, Eric Robbins, from an old Lansing band called The Pushers, stepped in. He's not here tonight, but he's our guitarist, and that's how we came to be who we are now. So I'm noticing we have three guitars in the room right now. Yes. Is that unusual to have three different... Are you guys all going to sing vocals for us <laughs> as well? Um, not tonight. I think CJ, yeah. CJ has one part in this song he's going to sing. Do I? Yeah, oh, yeah. Back up. Uh, Jordan yep. usually plays bass, and on this song he actually plays synth as well. Yeah. But So he's going to be playing his bass and synth parts on, yes. electric, or on acoustic guitar. And CJ's going to be covering Eric, our other guitar player's parts, and I'm going to be playing my parts. All right. Well, without further ado, would you like to play for us? Yeah, this song is uh, called Shine, and it's going to be on our new album that will be out later this year.
the studio. That was Elliott Street Lunatic. They'll be performing this weekend at Frost Fest, which is happening in downtown Lansing. The event is on Saturday from 6 p.m. to midnight. Um, it'll be featuring um, some local bands as well as microbrews, um, as well as a euchre tournament. So how did you guys get involved with the Frost Fest event? Um, our friends at Fusion Shows and our new friends at 94 on the Edge asked mm -hmm. us to play. Very nice. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Very we're very nice. excited. So can you talk about the other performers that will be at Frost Fest this weekend? Yeah, um, our good friend Joe Hurtler, he, he's going to be playing with his new band, The Rainbow Seekers. And They're amazing. Heard, if you haven't way. seen them, yeah. it's it's Kevin, it's that was great. just on, actually plays bass in the, that band. Yeah. So they're really good. Mm -hmm. um, Atomic Tom's playing, and they're from, I think, New York? I believe so. Um, they're, uh, they're signed to Capitol Records now, I think. Right. They, they had a video back in the fall where they were playing their cell phones, like their songs on their iPhones. Yeah. And it brought success to their band. And Definitely worth lo looking at the video. You can look it up at YouTube. Uh, so wait, yeah. so it's a video. Describe the video again for us. They yeah. downloaded... Uh, I, from what the video says, their equipment got stolen at a show. So they were riding the subway, and they, uh, they downloaded guitar, drums, piano, bass ap applications on their phones. And they each played their iPhones. Oh, I like, see. Like, they performed their song on their phones. It's actually, it's really cool to see. Through yeah, the phone instruments. Yes. That's an amazing idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So they will be at Frostfest this yep. weekend. Well, where can people go for more information about your events? Um, they can find us on Facebook. MySpace. We never update MySpace. Um, most of the social networks, all our information's up, all our upcoming shows. Well, Elliott Street Lunatic, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having us. us. You're listening to Impact Exposure. here Th thanks again man it was good wait time. you were uh you were hitting it pretty hard tonight are you, are you good to drive heck yeah i am amazing at driving yeah man you sure i mean i can call a cab or we fine. can uh, we can get somebody to take you home yeah, you know? yeah don't worry i'm good okay uh hey text me when you get back okay stop right there this is stupid he's drunk friends don't let friends drink and drive ever a message from 88.9 impact for more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights from 8 until 10 p.m., the Impact Flashback is your retro music alternative, playing your old favorites from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Only on Impact Primetime. In a world where radio was repetitive and mundane, in a time when FM is plagued by the same 15 songs, an army of new songs are called to battle. And only the strongest survive. Every Sunday night from 8 till 10. Sit or spin. Only on Impact 89 FM. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to In That Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. And next on Exposure, an interview with guest list producer Emmanuel Berry. This is an interview she did last week with Top Chef contestant Ariane Duarte. Impact Exposure, Emmanuel Berry. Although Valentine's Day has passed, you can continue to cook up some romance in the kitchen. Today we are talking aphrodisiacs with, with chef Arian Duarte, blogger for DinnerTool.com and former Top Chef contestant. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're, we really appreciate it. We love talking about food here at The Impact. So I think the first thing on uh, people's minds when we talk about aphrodisiacs is, do they work? Um, is it just myth or legend? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I personally, I don't know. But you know what? There's so many myths and legends. You know, coming back to oysters, it, there was a rumor that um, Casanova used to eat 50 oysters a day and so i guess it and it kind of sexually charged him up so this is where we get uh (laughs) and you know also aphrodisiacs are you know the 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 shapes of vegetables are pretty you know come into play you know being asparagus or bananas so that was another reason why they were thought of as aphrodisiacs but you know what there are so there's so many myths and so many legends so you don't know what is true so um i guess you got to test them out yourself yeah i mean um so what what is it in certain foods that they say is it that triggers these increases in sexual desires? Is, is it some kind of chemical, or is it really all kind of just Well, based there on was that? definitely reasons, um, some being chemical that actually would help, um, they would say stimulate and help um, for infertility. Uh, infertil- oh, my God, infertility. <laughs> um, so there were definitely some, if you ate, that they would say would, um, you know, get you pregnant. And then there were others um, that would uh, increase sexual drive. So I guess what would, whatever is in there, those were the reasons being, you know, different spices and uh, vegetables and bulb vegetables. You know, so some were for infertility and some were definitely for uh, sex drive. So uh, if you're staying in on... Uh on Valentine's Day week or some night of the week uh, after Valentine's Day, what aphrodisiac food should you put on your menu? Well, you know, of course, oysters are always, you know, one of those um, traditional ones. Champagne being the the love uh, the love drink of uh, choice. <laughs> that um, you know, that bubbly gets you all giddy, and. Um, you know, anything. Basil is another aphrodisiac. You can create a great um, great pesto with pasta or, um, you know, using um, chocolate, finishing off with chocolate. On dinnertool.com, I actually have, I broke it down into, um, you know, like acts, like a little play, like act one, starting off with your oysters, act <laughs> two, uh, making a nice pesto, and then act three would be finishing with, you know, those divine decadent um chocolate chocolates yeah and then i also on um you know there's a video that i i do a great steak dinner which is always nice with asparagus and uh, roasted mushrooms any other um dessert recommendations in particular for chocolate lovers out there oh gosh i mean oh I just think something really rich, um, maybe like a, you know, I, it depends on how crazy you want to get. You can make a gr- beautiful, like a nice silky um, chocolate ganache cake or even just a simple like devil's food cake with some great icing is always like a chocolate layer cake is like, you know, mom used to make is always um, really great, really simple. 
And, um, you know, even a box of chocolates. <laughs> Just a box of chocolates. It's always traditional. Nice. Yeah. So um, <laughs> if you're in the house and you don't really want to spend too much or go out, what are some everyday kind of household items that are said to be aphrodisiacs? Oh, God, there's a ton. Um, <clears throat> bananas, believe it or not, <clears throat> are aphrodisiac, pistachios, you know, different herbs, sage and basil, um, ginger, figs. I mean, there's, there are a lot. Uh, there are a lot of spices as well. Um, so you can definitely do some research and, and see, you know, what you want to have. I mean, asparagus being one as well. Um, so are there any foods that are often cited as aphrodisiacs but are in fact not? Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm not. Uh, I, I don't really know the whole. I, I don't know how, you know, they're all a lot of them. They're all tied myths. up in myth, yeah. So <laughs> They're all myths. So I guess it, sometimes you just got to take matters into your own hands. Yeah, you just and, have to go try them out, out, I guess. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so Valentine's Day, people may th- not think about how big a role food plays in it, but I mean, most couples spend it either going out and enjoying food or staying in. Um, why do you think that food plays such a big role kind of in this day of love? Well, I think, you know, eating is something that we all need to do to survive. And I think actually Valentine's Day is a day where we actually almost stop and you you almost want to be together and have dinner, if that makes sense. You know, you want to spend that time together and, you know, stop from the hustle and bustle and just sit down and relax and enjoy each other. And, you know, you put a few candles on the table just to really set the mood. But I think Valentine's Day is just known as that romantic, romantic day where you want to have dinner. It's just something that's been instilled in all of us, I think, growing up. And you just kind of you know, you you go with it, and and usually it is, it turns out to be a really nice evening. Um, so whether you go out or whether you go home, just being together and sitting down and enjoying a meal together, I think that's what brings that love into play. So what are what are your Valentine's Day plans if that's not too personal? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, you know what? We have uh, two teenage girls, so I think. Uh, the girls and I might take their dad out for dinner. That's that's our, you know, it's funny because we'll, ha- we'll have a busy weekend. We're closed on Monday, but Saturday is going to be a busy, busy, busy day, busy night. So I just kind of like to relax. <laughs> and, um, you know, if we stay home, we stay home. But if we we'll go out, we'll all go out together. Um, it's still a little chilly here in Michigan. It probably will be for a while. Any good recommendations for some hearty kind of warm-up um, meals? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I'm doing a ton. Actually, because it's cold here in Jersey, too. We um, we, we have uh, a lot of venison, so I have been making venison chili all winter long, which <laughs> we just love. Uh, it's kind of just a little bit different than that, your normal beef chili, but I, I just love it. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of soups and stews and, and um you know, just mac and cheese. I hate to say it. We all tend to eat those heavier foods in the winter just to kind of stuff us up and keep us warm. But you go to dinnertool.com. There are a ton of different recipes um, for you to get through you, you know, to get you through the winter months to yeah. help you. Um, yeah. You may want to add a little bit of aphrodisiacs to those dishes. Um. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciated the chance to talk with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
That was just speaking with Erin Duarte, blogger for DinnerTool.com and former Top Chef contestant. This is Emmanuel Berry for Impact Exposure. Happy Valentine's Day. You're listening to Impact Exposure. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. Gentlemen, want to hear our specials? Sure. First, we have the seafood special. It's been sitting around here for a week. We're known around these parts for our food poisoning. Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. It's called A1C, a simple blood test that can help measure your risk of complications such as heart attack. To find out more, go to www.diabetesa1c.org. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. In the studio, I have Jennifer Battle. She is with the Office of Campus Sustainability, and she is here to talk about how MSU is going to break its dependence on coal to fuel the university. Uh, she is here to talk about the new energy transition here at MSU. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I feel like there's been a lot of movement, especially from students, to transition MSU away from the coal as an energy source in the past few years. And so have they been a huge part into why MSU is now deciding to, to, you know, kind of think about, you know, getting away from coal as the main energy source? No, not at all. I mean, actually, our main vision for this committee is to transition to renewable energy. So it's not, we're not particularly focusing on a particular uh, source of fuel. We right now use coal, natural gas, and biomass at our plant. We do have some renewable projects on our campus as well. So we've been working in improving our energy position for several years with our environmental stewardship initiatives, with the research that we've done, with several groups and teams that we've convened. And so this is really the next natural step. So we've wanted to improve um, our performance in emissions and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We do still have our 2015 goals of reducing um, emissions and energy use by 15%. So really the next step was to start thinking about the future. Um, we know that our uh, the demand on campus for energy will to continue to increase and so from a there are multiple reasons and, and previous reports that we've had from our environmental stewardship uh, group you know it all points to that direction. So this is a natural step and we realize that you know I think the students have been really passionate about coal in particular and it was hard for them to hear, be patient, we're moving in that direction. And I think that, you know, kind of fueled some of the additional um, reaction. But that's, you know, I think it's great that the students are passionate, invested, and we're all kind of on the same page, which is what we were, we've always said before. It's just a matter of it has to be um, 
a responsible, sustainable plan. You can't make knee-jerk decisions because the types of things we're talking about are billions of dollars in investment, and it's our responsibility to make good decisions for the university for the long term. Now, I also understand that the reason why we can't make snap decisions right now is because technology isn't up to speed um, with a lot of the ideas that are out there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've been incorporating renewable technologies as we can. But to give an example, the new Surplus Storm Recycling Center has solar panels, but it can only generate up to 10% of the building's electricity. And most, what most people don't uh, realize is that we are um, really a steam plant, and steam is what is able to produce the electricity and heat for the building. So um, a lot of renewable energy out there is particularly focused on electricity, but not very many are providing that thermal requirement. So, you know, you've been in Michigan in January and nobody wants to be cold. So, you know, we have to address both electricity and steam. And you're right, some of the technologies are not quite there yet. And that's why we know it has to be somewhat of a transition. So we want to be able to you know, move to renewables, but not make quick decisions on technologies that aren't developed enough so that, you know, we don't want to be the person using the beta VH, the beta player when, and then everybody moves to VHS. So it, it's, it's going to take careful consideration and thought as to how we, how we do that and in a very smart way. But we have a lot of smart people at MSU, so I'm not concerned about that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I know there's a lot of MSU research that's going on in the field of renewable energy. Mm -hmm. I know I've had people on the show talking about how they can um, transform algae to mm -hmm. energy or, mm -hmm. um, you know, wasted heat into energy. Yes. Are you talking with those professors and coming up with plans that to, to move this transition of energy? We always have an open conversation with all the, the faculty on campus who are doing research in this area. And like I said, we look for opportunities for demonstration projects, for piloting research. We really want MSU to be that living, learning laboratory. For example, uh, Dr. Safferman is working with anaerobic digestion on campus where um, they're taking food and animal waste and all the stuff that we don't want to think about and um, trying to see if we can turn that into some sort of biogas that can be used for fuel. So yeah, we keep those doors open. We have that, those constant conversations. And I think the key part of the plan is to figure out how do we continuously incorporate those types of renewable projects and test out new things so that when the time comes when we can make that move, we're ready to go instead of being behind the curve. So have you started conversations already about, you know, where you could be going? I mean, what are some things that people have been throwing out, you know, where we could go as far as renewable energy? Well, I mean, people have talked about that for a long time on campus. Formally, as a committee, we haven't met yet. <laughs> that happens at the end of this month. So no, no formal discussions have been set. So, I mean, everybody has various opinions, but the five kind of categories we really want to um, be cognizant of as we plan our, you know, reliability. We need to provide reliable energy for campus. I mean, we have people living on campus. We have cutting-edge research. So whatever decision we make, um, the, the fuel and the energy source has to be reliable. Um, capacity is another thing. We have increasing demand. You know, the great thing about being at a top research institution is there's so much research going on. But from a, you know, an operations standpoint, we have to continue to provide that um, energy, no pun intended, <laughs> to to fuel the uh, the research. Um, health and environment are two key areas as well. And I know I'm, oh, cost, of course. So, you know, there are a lot of things we can do. There, I don't want to say there are a lot of things that we can do, but there are some things we can do today, but the cost is so 
enormous that with the state economy being what it is right now and the fact that we still have to provide an accessible education as a land-grant institution, it's difficult to, for example, switch to 100% natural gas today because that cost is going to be so enormous and we don't know how to absorb that yet. And I also understand that MSU's power plant is expected to reach capacity in 2023. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the original estimates are 2023. Obviously, conservation method measures will push that date out. So yeah, there are a lot of things that make this the perfect storm or the perfect time to really start planning because, you know, if you are reach capacity in 2023, if you need some sort of plant expansion or new technology, you really need to start planning for that seven, eight years ahead of time. So we want to be, like I said, proactive versus reactive. Um, in a lot of decisions, we we anticipate regulatory situation will change, and we we anticipate greenhouse gra gas legislation, and and things are moving in that direction. We we you know there's just a lot of things happening that just make this a really smart time to pull the trigger on some plans that we've been you know building up and preparing for for a long time. So Jennifer Battle, I know that MSU ranks pretty high nationally in its environmental efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that as well as where we may be once we have transitioned to renewable energy here at MSU. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, we, we love when people recognize us for what we're doing, but we're not really working toward the great. Uh, but, um, you know, obviously any type, type of gains we can make in reducing our greenhouse gas emissions on and a lot of people's um, scales or, or um, surveys will probably push us higher. But, you know, we are mostly concerned about making the right decisions for the campus and for and being part of a global community, which does mean um, how we are taking care of our environment and affecting our environment. So I think that's what's most important to us. And those are the measures that we're going to use, especially in those five areas um, that I talked about earlier. But, you know, of course, reputationally, I'm sure anytime any university is uh, makes big gains or or, or achieves, uh, you know, their, their bold vision that they'll be recognized for it. But uh, we continue to work with lots of other universities who are leading in many different areas so that, you know, we're continuously getting information, exchanging information from each other. So we hope to continue those partnerships as we move along this process. So as of now, what does MSU mainly run on? Mainly our fuel mix is 90% coal, about 10% natural gas, and a little bit of biomass at the power plant. We do have, like I said, some distributed generation, which means that generation is at the at the building level. Um, we have the solar panels on the recycling center, the solar panels out at the pavilion. The new life sciences addition will be heated and cooled with geothermal power. And I feel like I'm missing one, but uh, those are the three that are coming to mind <laughs> right now. So really, as people, as we continue to build and renovate, those are really a great opportunities to incorporate renewable energy, which you've, with the those last two projects that I mentioned, the, the Surplus Storm Recycling Center and Life Sciences. And do you know of any universities yet that run on renewable energy? Not 100 percent. But a lot of people obviously are trying to increase their renewable portfolio. Some universities are, are uh, basing some of their goals from off coal, uh, you know, getting off coal, and some are switching to natural gas. And, you know, we feel that that's an interim solution because natural gas is still not renewable. That's not going to keep going forever either. And all the emi although emissions are lower with natural gas, they're not non-existent. So, you know, obviously 
uh, bridging with natural gas is one possible strategy, but we don't feel like that's the end point. So, um, you know, I know at first Wisconsin was going to change to from their coal to a natural gas to a biomass plant, and then their governor looked at the cost and just kind of stopped that last part of the project, so they're just going to natural gas. Penn State's going to natural gas. Um, you know, and of course, regionally it varies because, you know, we're not out in California or Arizona where they have better access to solar or in some of the plain states where wind is, is readily available. So it'll be a challenge for us, but we're going to do it. I mean, we're going to continue to make those decisions that move us to renewable energy. And is MSU striving to be 100 percent dependent on That's our big, energy? bold vision. That's okay. our big, bold vision. We want to go to renewable and um, we don't know how long that will take us. We don't know because obviously there's so many unknown variables at this point, but we know that this plan, once the committee completes its work and presents it to the board, and if the board accepts this plan, et cetera, this is kind of the what we're going to use to govern and, and hone our decisions around energy. And then every five years or every few years it will be updated because it has to be. Technology is changing quickly financial situation changes, you know, a whole bunch of considerations and variables will change. And it'll just be important to keep that updated so we continue to work towards that renewable vision. And Jennifer Battle, where can people go um, to get involved in this conversation on MSU's energy transition? Well, they can get involved in the conversation, provide input, get information on everything that the steering committee is doing at www.energytransition.msu.edu. Well, Jennifer Battle, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about MSU's uh, transition into renewable energy. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure for the Michigan Storytelling segment. In the studio, I have Melissa Day Hasbrook, and she's here to talk about the Her Stories Project, which will happen this weekend, as well as do a reading for us. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. So to start off, talk about what is the Her Stories Project. The Her Stories Project began last year as an effort for community-organized programs to celebrate stories about women, and the events focused on Women's History Month. And this year, we're branching out and doing a, a variety of events throughout the year. And the first one is this weekend, titled Embodying Our Words. And what will happen this weekend at this event? Yeah, it's a writing program, and we have two days. The first is the 18th on campus here with our partners, the Center for Poetry and the LGBT Resource Center. And the 19th is at the Women's Center of Greater Lansing on the east side of Lansing. We'll be having workshops, dialogue, and performance in order to explore embodied writing. That's the theme. And why, why have this event now, and why do you think it's important? Well, the event uh, is to precede also something in March called Her Stories Fest, which will be a performance-oriented event on the 18th of March. And at this time, we wanted to focus on doing uh, writing, really giving space and time for people to dig in deep to ongoing projects or to take some points of inspiration from what we're offering. Well, with that, Melissa, would you be willing to read um, a little segment of a poem for the Michigan Storytelling segment? Definitely. The poem is called Origins, and it's part of a set called The Mason Esker. And this is coming soon in a book called Circle Home, um, available in June. Origins. On a sunny day in the season of Elf Alpha, after hiking pastures of the old family farm, 
I visit Billy Kriego. In his youth, a hired hand on Grandpa's bail wagon, alongside Mom when she was a kid. Billy lives atop the Mason Esker, which ascends the Looking Glass River into his backyard. But that comes later in the story. I am on a quest to see the old German Bible Billy mentioned at Grandma's funeral. She died on the 4th of July. Yet the Bible is nowhere to be found, and he recalls giving it to a church historian for good keeping. We stand before his house, facing West Clark Road, and Billy reminisces before disturbances of Indian burial grounds, there, waving his hand southeast. I thank Billy and his wife Carolyn for their hospitality and start for home. But something strikes beneath the car, a big rock in a line of rocks that I failed to see upon departure. Billy offers to drive as my car is towed. We pass the land, last work by Grandpa's hands, a ghost of a dairy farm with milk house remains. Funny how the Mason Esker starts in Billy's backyard, bound southeast, sidling Lansing's east side, where Grandma resided after selling the last remnant of the old family farm. But I realize this later in the story. We chat as we ride, and I mention the Mason Esker, a glacial river become landform, a phenomenon I recently unearthed while writing about the land my family farmed. And much to my surprise, Billy knows what I'm talking about. University students paid a visit to the Kriegos to see where the Mason Esker begins. Here, the story unfolds. Maybe my visit has nothing to do with that Bible, still unseen in years that follow. Maybe the quest is the Esker. And for the Michigan Storytelling segment, that was Melissa Day Hasbrook um, reading a poem she wrote, and she was also hosting the Her Stories Project, which will happen this weekend in East Lansing. Where can people go for more information, Melissa? Yeah, they can visit the website for the program. That's Day of the Phoenix, Day with an E, dot com slash Her Stories. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.